Changing minds one thought at a time Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Minds Online Empowering Women series. Good evening, Akina. How are you doing tonight? I am doing great. I'm super excited about the show tonight. Me too. It's been a, an all a good night all around. So, you know, we love to just share stories from our lives and kind of what's going on. So you guys know we're, we're real people too. So, you know, I'm just going to share this little story with you. So I was um, on my, I was at the pet store tonight on my way home from work and I have some guinea pigs. I have three of them. They're my babies. Um, there's Jack, there's Matt, and there's Tony and they needed some food. So I went to pick up some food for them and was minding my own business in the aisle, and then all of a sudden I met eyes with this little baby bunny, and he stood up on his hind legs, and he tapped the little bunny cage with his paws and his front paws, and, and I walked over to him, and he made this gigantic leap to try and get in my arms, and he missed, and he fell right on his little bunny bottom, and, and the next thing we knew, uh, he was on my lap on the way home, so... Tonight I am looking and sitting on my uh, looking at my desk. I am sitting here with my brand new baby bunny, Sly. It's his name since he was so sly about coming home with me. And um, it's just it's just been a, a really great week. So I hope everyone's making it a really powerful week. I am so excited about tonight's call. Um, tonight we have on a dear friend of mine, and this person and I are involved in the same nutrition company. Um, this person is a board-certified OBGYN. She is very, very passionate about women's health and really just taking you know, our lives to the next level. As women, we often tend to neglect our health, and we put everyone before ourselves, but we know that as entrepreneurs, as powerful women, it is just absolutely crucial that we're taking to our, uh, our health into our own hands. And you know, tonight uh, we have Dr. Angela of the Ask Dr. Angela, who's going to help us talk about and figure out how we can make the most of our doctor's visits. So welcome, Dr. Angela, to the call. Thank you so much, Jessica and Dr. Rikina. Um, It's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. Um, part of what drives me and, you know, motivates me to do what I do on an everyday basis is daily I am reminded of how amazing women are in general. I mean, women are caretakers, we're nurturers, and we're the glue that holds society together. We are the way makers, and I don't know, Dr. Kaya, I know that you currently live in the South, but there's an old hymnal called uh, Waymakers, and it refers to uh, the good Lord being a waymaker. And when I think about women and everything that we do in society, I think about moms um, just, you know, making a way out of no way, and women have been doing that for years. So I always think of women as being way makers. And, you know, I see women from all walks of life, from both ends of the spectrum with regards to age. And, you know, whether you're a young mom working two or three jobs to keep a roof over your head and, you know, keep mouths fed, or whether you're a middle-aged woman who's caring for your aging parents, or, you know, whether you're like the matriarch of your family that's kind of holding things together, um, women again, continue to amaze me on a daily basis. And I just want to say to you two that I am both honored and blessed to be featured 
on your show this evening. Um, my whole calling and what I do on a daily basis is all about motivating, educating, and empowering women. And the one thing that I really hope that your viewers will get out of today is that you always have a choice, and you are the biggest piece of your health care. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming, you know, on our call. It's really an honor to have you on our call. And, you know, um, health is just this topic that I know is it's just so important and so crucial. And tonight we really wanted to talk about how to get the most out of your doctor's visits, which is so important for women. And I just want to jump right into it because I know you have so many good things to share with us. So can you tell us a little bit about what your specialty is and what we're going to be talking about tonight? Sure. Um, my specialty is obstetrics and gynecology, so all of my patients are obviously women. And, you know, just as kind of an outline of what I'd like to go over with you all tonight is, you know, just some general tips on how to make sure that you are getting the most out of your visit. You know, and that's going to start with the relationship that you have with your physician. Um, it's going to start with, you know, making sure that you are an active part of your medical care. And then I would generally just like to go over some of the basic screening guidelines that I think all women need to be aware of so that you can live, you know, healthier and and happier lives. So actually what I'd like to do, since I have you two on the phone, is, you know, what kind of relationship do you guys have with your physicians? Like what do you look for when you when you are choosing a doctor? And that's on for either you, uh, Jessica, or Dr. Kaina. Uh, well, uh, when I am choosing a doctor, I want to make sure that I'm comfortable, uh, that I feel comfortable to speak to them about anything, uh, that they're not worried about questions because I am a questions person in that area. I have a lot of little bitty <laughs> illnesses that uh, just make me feel bad, but I'm not sick sick. <laughs> so I have a lot of questions mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I start feeling bad. <laughs> So I mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're not annoyed by that. That's very key. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, someone who's going to tell me up front what all those big words mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so they give me the paper and then it's full of all these words and all these tests and acronyms, and I want to know what those things are. So that's what I really look for in, yeah. um, in my position. Those are yeah, all for me very too. good points. What about you, Jess? Yeah, for me, being comfortable is also really important. And um, some of you may know that, you know, I have a, a, a nerve, a neurological disorder. And, you know, often I've gone to doctors who've really just kind of looked at me and just said, well, you know what, there's so many things you're not going to be able to do. And, and all they really saw was the illness that I had, and they didn't see the potential of who I am and what I'm capable of. So for me, like the most important thing when I look for a doctor is really finding someone who can look past the diagnosis and really help me to, to be the person that I want to be. You know, and that's just the most, you know, crucial thing for me. I, I like, you know, practitioners who integrate alternative practices and, and who get the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, just because something is not in a medical textbook now, it doesn't mean it's not going to be sound science in 15, 20 years from now. I mean, you know, the medical industry is obviously always changing. It's always evolving and growing. So a doctor who stays current on research and is open to really, you know, as long as there's some sort of basis for what you're doing to to try new things. And, and, you know, for me, like I said, it's really important for me that um, my doctor is someone who who supports me in, in what I'm looking to accomplish. Mm-hmm. 
you ladies are brilliant. And the reason that I asked you that is those are absolutely two of the points that I'm going to hit on. So, you know, when I thought about this and just in looking at my relationship with patients and things that I like to see in patients, you're absolutely right. You get the most out of your medical visit, number one, it starts with the relationship that you have with your physician. And the way that I like to look at this is there are no big I's or little U's when it comes to your health care. Your health care is a team approach. Um, you, you guys have probably heard of that saying, there is no I in team. Well, it's exactly the same for your medical care, okay? You need to be a huge part of your medical decision-making. And that doesn't mean that you have a medical degree, but it means that your physician is taking the time to explain things in such a manner that you are able to make an informed decision. You need to be able to feel comfortable enough with your physician to ask, not just difficult questions, but just questions in general. As a physician, I will tell you that when I speak with patients and I'm asking them about medical history or whatever, one of the things that always raises my eyebrows is when I meet a patient that has no idea why they are on certain medications, you know, they have no idea, you know, um, what's going on with their medical diagnoses, you know, what the disease or illness entails. And what that tells me is one of two things. Number one, that their physician hasn't taken the time to go over these things. And number two, that maybe the, the patient uh, was afraid to ask the physician, you know, certain questions. When I give referrals, when patients come to me and they ask me, oh, do you have a good primary care physician that you can recommend me to? Do you have a good surgeon that you can recommend me to? One of the number one things that I consider when making a referral is how well those patients are taken care of. And I know how well those patients are taken care of by virtue of how well they converse me about what's going on with their medical care. So number one, having a good relationship with your physician, making sure that you are comfortable enough to ask questions, and number two, that your physician is going to be able to answer your questions. My general rule of thumb is this. Any doctor that does not have time to answer your questions or take the time to explain, they don't deserve to be your doctor. It's plain and simple. While, you know, we all consider medicine as this noble profession at best, this is still a consumer's market. And if Dr. A can't do the job, Dr. Jones right up the street will gladly take up the slack and provide you with all the services that you were initially seeking. The other thing that you ladies hit on, which is beautiful, is does your doctor know you? You the person, not just your medical issues. One of the things that I pride myself on is making sure that I have a genuine relationship with my patient. When there is a mutual respect and trust between patient and physician, then you are able to render the best medical care. So you're right. You're more than just a disease or a medical element. You're a person, and your doctor needs to be able to take the time to learn about what makes you you, whether it's hobbies that you have, you know, whether it's, you know, knowing some generalities about your family, what kind of work you do, you know, the whole thing. You are more than just a disease, a medical condition. You're a human being. The other thing that you all hit on is board certification and maintenance. You need to make sure that your physician is current. I always tell my patients that my job is to provide you with the latest and the greatest, not so much to make the decisions for you, but to prevent you with, but to present you with all of the latest recommendations, you know, make sure that you're getting the most current care so that you can, again, make an informed decision about what is going to be in your best interest. 
And then last but not least is making sure that you are an active part of your medical care, okay? A good physician is not going to allow you to do anything that's detrimental to your health. However, only you know what's going to be best for you. So your physician's job really should be to present all the viable options and to let you make an informed decision, okay? Again, your health care is a two-way street, so just make sure that you are an active participant in your health care. And, again, if your physician doesn't, you know, make the cut or is not fulfilling those needs, you can either let them know that, and, you know, part of that is having a comfortable enough relationship with your physician where you can give that kind of feedback, or else there are a million and one doctors out there that are able to do that job. So, I'm, you know, you ladies really hit the nail on the head. The other piece of what I'd like to do with you all, go for it. I'm sorry. I wanted to ask you, so, no, you know, these things are obviously all really important, and I love everything you're touching upon. You know, how do we know when we're going to see a doctor for the first time that, you know, what kind of questions can we ask to kind of figure this information out, you know, if this is a first-time visit with a new doctor? Mm -hmm. You know what? A lot of um, things, some of the things that you might be able to do is there are tons of websites where patients are able to rate their doctors, and they can they oftentimes will give you know comments on how their visits are. I think Health Grades is one of them. Um, I think that Angie's List, you know, things of this nature actually have you know where patients have rated physicians. You know, word of mouth. If you know friends or family that have seen this physician or have gone to this particular practice. Those are also good means to do that. And I'll be very honest with you. I've actually had patients come in and interview me to be their doctor. And that's actually a pretty good practice, you know, to come in and ask all the questions. Well, you know, I see that you're a minimally invasive surgeon. What kind of minimally invasive surgery do you do? How many cases have you had? You know, how long have you been board certified? You know, how, how often do you, you know, do maintenance of certification? You know, what do patients say they like the most about you? What do patients say they like the least about you? You know, these are all questions. And, again, any physician that is not willing to take the time to answer these questions, you don't need, they don't need to be a doctor. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I love how you're really, yeah, that's phenomenal. And I, and I really do wish all doctors are, were like that. And, and, you know, there are many doctors like that. And I have had some great doctors, and I've had some doctors who I've, I've moved on to great doctors. So that's absolutely great advice. Thank you. And I know you wanted to share something else with us. What was that? No, I just, um, just whenever you're ready, I just like to go over the basic screening guidelines. And, of course, my, my screening guidelines are going to be a little bit skewed because I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist, so most of my screening guidelines are going to talk about pap smears, mammograms, but I'd like to also touch on, you know, some of the more general things, like screening for things like coronary artery disease, you know, heart disease, um, and those kinds of things. But I'm certainly open to any other questions that you, that you all might have. Yeah, you know, I think oh, it would be please. really helpful for, yeah, it would be really helpful, I think, to hear those guidelines. Akina, do you agree? Yes, I do. Please, uh, 
I would love to hear. Yeah, uh, there's uh, there's so many women, honestly, myself included, and and you know I'm about to be 30, and, and I don't really know like what should I be doing. And there's a lot of women I know like me who would uh, love and benefit from this information. So thank you for sharing that with us. Okay, you're welcome. So we're going to start with the most obvious thing that I do: pap smears. Okay. So just for the record, and these, this is kind of for my moms who have young daughters, and they're like, oh, my gosh, why should I take my daughters to, to the gynecologist? I usually meet young ladies for the first time between the ages of, like, 13 and 15. And that general visit, there's no exam involved, but it's really more or less an icebreaker um, just to kind of go over what an annual exam is, you know, what we as OBGYNs do for a living, you know, not for a living, but, you know, generally what kind of exams we do. So it's kind of an introductory visit to just briefly go over medical history. We'll go over menstrual history. And it's just kind of an icebreaker so that when these young girls do have to come to the gynecologist, it's not such, you know, such a shocker. It's not such an ordeal. They already know what to expect. One of the things that I have found is that one of the reasons that women in general or even, you know, my teenagers are so afraid to come to the OBGYN for that first exam visit is they have no idea what to expect. So just having an icebreaker meeting, um, which is usually very brief, tends to help that significantly. With regards to things like pap smears, we actually don't recommend doing pap smears until the age of 21. Now, in young women that are younger than 21 that do happen to be sexually active, we do recommend yearly screening for gonorrhea and chlamydia. That screening for gonorrhea and chlamydia actually goes through to the age of 25. So 25 and under, you get screened for gonorrhea and chlamydia annually. Pap smears start at 21. So even once you turn 21, you will continue to be screened for gonorrhea and chlamydia through the age of 25. And I always, you know, kind of jokingly say to my patients, that's not like a personal slight you know, it's not that we think anything negative about you, but that's just the guideline. And it's because 25 and under is where we see the most prevalence or the highest prevalence of gonorrhea and chlamydia. So I just said to you, pap smear start at the age of 21. Between the ages of 21 and 29, the current recommendation actually is to just do pap smears every three years. But if I'm going to be very honest with you, I see patients yearly, and the reason that I do is because most patients, if you tell them to come back every three years, they, you know, they neglect the rest of their body. When you come to the gynecologist, it's more than just a pap smear, but it's a general exam. You know, we're assessing your, you know, your medical well-being, whether or not there are any new medical issues, whether you've had any surgeries, whether there are certain lifestyle issues that we need to talk about, that's diet and exercise, whether you picked up diet, you know, bad habits such as smoking, consuming too much alcohol, or doing drugs. So, you know, I bring patients back annually so that we can assess for these, you know, changing, you know, medical issues and concerns. When you turn 30, Jessica, did I hear you say that you're 30 or that you're turning 30? Okay. Okay. So you're getting close to the age of 30. And the reason that 30 becomes important is because at the age of 30, in addition to pap smears, we start screening for human papillomavirus, or you guys in the lab, as HPV. Okay. Under 30, we don't typically screen for that. And the reason behind that is that in most young and healthy women, um, your body is able to rid HPV you know, by itself. As long as you're young, healthy, you don't have any chronic medical issues, 
um, things like diabetes or HIV, which cause immunosuppression. And that's kind of a big word, but what that means is that your body is compromised and not really able to fight off infection or disease, as well as someone who doesn't have, you know, said, you know, medical illnesses. But once you reach 30, that's when we start screening for HPV with your pap smears. And now, what I can ask you, what if, what if you were sure. vaccinated for HPV? Because I know now the right more young people are being vaccinated. So I was actually vaccinated for HPV um, prior mm-hmm. to becoming sexually active. Is that something I would still need to think about? Absolutely, because your vaccination probably only uh, vaccinated you against, you know, four types of HPV, and those types of HPV are going to be the high-risk types of HPV, which are the most, have the highest association with cervical cancer. But there are other types of high-risk HPV as well. So that's something that's good to know. That's something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your vaccination only vaccinated you against four types of HPV. Likely, and you know they're they're good. It's I love the HPV vaccine, and I recommend it to you know those patients that are you know in the age bracket for that. And it, that's between the ages of actually nine and twenty six. Those are people that are in the age range to get vaccinated um, for HPV. But yeah, once you're thirty, you will reflexly be screened for high risk types of HPV. Women who will no longer need Pap smears are going to be women over the age of sixty five that meet this criteria. If you're over 65 and you've had three normal pap smears in a row or two consecutive negative co-tests, you know, co-testing, what that means is that you had two pap smears that were negative for both, you know, atypical cells as well as high-risk HPV. Within 10 years, the most recent pap happened within five years and you don't need any further screening. Now, having said that, I'll be very honest with you. I'm a little leery about that guideline, and this is the reason. I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but the senior community, and by saying senior, I mean, you know, 65 and above, the seniors are doing it these days. And when I say doing it, I mean they are living their lives, they're dating more, they are much more social and mobile than, you know, back in the day, so to speak. So, you know, with seniors being much more sexually active for longer periods of time, I still, my seniors, unless, you know, they're in mutually monogamous relationships, but if I have a senior that's, you know, actively dating, um, I would still continue to screen them with pap smears. And then last but not least, women that have had hysterectomies where they had their cervix removed for benign reasons. Benign reasons are going to be things like fibroids, um, you know, heavy bleeding, you know, anything that wasn't cancer, as long as you had a hysterectomy for a benign reason, once you get that cervix and uterus taken out, you do not need further pap smear screening. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Once you have a hysterectomy with the cervix taken out, because, you know, sometimes we do leave the cervix behind, but if your cervix was removed, you do not need further screening for, for, with, with pap smears because what do pap smears screen for? Cervical cancer. And if you've never had any abnormal pap smears, and again, your pap smear was done for a benign reason, you're done with pap smears. You guys, you, do you ladies have any more questions about pap smears? Oh, that was great information. I mean, a lot of it I did not even know. I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to the to the stop date myself, but. <laughs> 
but no, <laughs> no, I'm being silly. But um, yes, it was definitely good. Is there anything else uh, that we should be talking to our doctors about that we would never think about? Well, you know what? First of all, you should be able to talk to your doctor about anything. I always tell patients there are never any dumb questions. And I'm going to tell you kind of when, you know, I never say that I've heard or seen it all, and I always tell patients there's really not much that I haven't heard or seen, but I I will never say that I've heard or seen it all because just when I thought that I've heard it, somebody will come in and say something else. So, you know, the one thing that I always say to my patients is that when you come and see me, I sit in the seat of non-judgment. There is never any judgment. And, again, that goes back to that physician-patient relationship and feeling comfortable enough to be able to, you know, relay whatever is on your mind because when you're able to give me everything and tell me everything that's going on, I am able to treat you to the best of my ability. So that's something to think about. You know, if you are not trusting enough to give your doctor all of the information, then you really are kind of handicapping them in their ability to treat you because I need all the pieces of the puzzle so that I can make the most informed decision. The next thing I would like to talk to you guys about um, are mammograms. What questions do you guys have for me about mammograms? Okay, that well, was probably, I, that's definitely one. I yeah, definitely I, have one. I know that um, they usually start around 40. and mm-hmm. um, so, But is it a good practice to start earlier? That's a great question. It's a fantastic question. So actually... ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYN, recommends mammogram screening at the age of 40, and it continues annually or yearly thereafter. Now, I want you to listen to this really closely. In women that have a family history of breast cancer, and when I say family history, I'm typically talking about a first-degree relative. What constitutes a first-degree relative? It's going to be like a mom or a sister. If you have a family history of breast cancer, like a first-degree relative, then your mammograms should start 10 years prior to the age that your first-degree relative was affected. So, for example, if you have a mom or a sister that, were di- that was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I'm going to say, like, at the age of 40, then you should start screening 10 years prior to that diagnosis, and that would be 30, okay? The other thing that I always tell my patients, and I'm going to, go back to the whole mammogram thing, is I always preach breast awareness to all of my patients. And all that means is that you should know how your breasts normally look and feel. So when you go to your OBGYN and part of your exam is always going to be a breast exam, you know, my patients always ask me, how do my breasts feel? And I'll say to them, your breasts feel fine to me. And when I say that to them, I say, now what I want you to do is I just said to you, your breasts feel fine so when you go home, I want you to look at your breast. I want you to feel your breast so that you can see what your baseline is, what is your normal. So if you know what your breast normally look and what your breast normally feel like, and, again, I'm going to throw this other pro at you, breast awareness, all patients. 
when should you be doing your breast exams, I typically recommend the patients that they do their breast exams about a week after you get your period. Why a week after you get your period? A week after you get your period so that your breasts aren't going to be, number one, tender, and number two, they won't be so lumpy bump because right around the time of your period, it's normal for your breast to undergo fibrocystic changes and to be tender. So a week after you get your period. So if you know what your baseline is and you know what your breasts both look and feel like, if you recognize something that is outside the norm for your baseline, you got to let your doctor know. And occasionally, under the age of 40, if I feel a lesion or something is going on, I will order a mammogram, a diagnostic mammogram. The other thing that I will say to you is that in young people, I typically start with an ultrasound because ultrasound is typically more sensitive in younger people who typically have denser breasts, okay? The other thing to know about breast cancer, and it's so funny because I actually saw a woman today, I saw two women actually this evening with a family history of breast cancer. Interestingly enough, most breast cancer is sporadic. Only 27 to 30% of breast cancer is hereditary. The other thing that you need to know about breast cancer is age is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. So the older you are, the more likely you are to get it. So unlike pap smears, where I just said to you that, you know, after the age of 65, you know, if you've had three normals in a row or you've had two co-tests, you know, within the past 10 years that were both normal, you could stop screening. There is not an age at which I would recommend discontinuing mammograms because, again, I just said to you, age is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. What do you ladies think about that? It's really good to know. I mean, for me, I know that I I am um, I've already spoken to my doctor because I do have a family history of breast cancer, and and I've already mm-hmm. spoken to my doctor about making sure I do start my exams early. And you know, so many um, really unnecessary um, things can be prevented if you really catch things early. You know, I have a couple friends who in their in, who were diagnosed, you know, with cancer in their early you know 30s or late 20s, and obviously, I hope that doesn't happen to anyone on this call, but you know, it's always better to to be sure and to go and, and get yourself tested if you think you're at risk because so much can be done, right, um, Dr. Angela, earlier. You are absolutely right. And I always tell patients, knowledge is power because when you know, then we can act. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely great advice. You know, we're actually right at 9.30, so we're already out of time for tonight. But if there's um, anything you can leave our audience with, that kind of one last point, what would that be? Okay, you know what? Actually, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sum this up real fast, and this is going to be like the longest run-on sentence that you've ever heard. But as an OBGYN, <laughs> the biggest three screening things that I always ask about, pap smears, mammograms, and then colon cancer, okay? Colonoscopies start at the age of 50, and then it's every 10 years afterwards. If you are African-American, you're at an increased risk for this, so we typically start your screening at 45, Things such as, you know, being overweight, you know, poor lifestyle choices such as smoking, you know, poor diet, alcohol use, family history, all risk factors for colon cancer. Just another pearl, lifestyle choices. A lot of our lifestyle choices affect our health. Things like high blood pressure, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, you know, high stress, 
all of those things are modifiable, okay? Obesity, which is, you know, being overweight, is a huge contributor to all of that. One of the things that, one of the things that I always talk to my patients about is diet and exercise. And I never use the phrase dieting. I don't like dieting because that phrase has a negative connotation. When people think dieting, they think restrictive, they think punitive. But diet and exercise is a lifestyle. And when you have a great diet and you exercise, risk factors such as obesity, being overweight, people don't realize this, but in my realm, obesity is associated with breast cancer. Yeah, being, being obese and overweight is a risk factor for breast cancer. Being overweight is a risk factor for uterine cancer. Being overweight, again, risk factor for colon cancer. And the other thing, you know, the obstetric part of what I do, being overweight is absolutely associated with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which can lead to anovulation, issues with childbearing, you know, the whole thing. So making wise lifestyle choices is a must. And you can do it. I always tell my patients, figure out what your why is. The reason that I am so adamant about healthy lifestyle and leading by example is my family. I have a beautiful wife. I have an amazing daughter that I need to be there for. You guys actually are my why as well. I pride myself in leading by example, and I don't hold my patients to any expectation other than what I would hold myself to. So, you know, I always say to people, would you go to a dentist with jacked up teeth? No. Would you go to a hairdresser whose hair looked like a bird's nest? No. Why expect anything less from your physician? My whole mantra, look better, feel better, be better. It's what I live by, and I hope that you will too. Ultimately, you have a choice. Choose healthy and choose physicians that are team you, okay? Because remember, you are the most important part of your health care. That's what I would close with, ladies. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I mean, it's such great information, that, and it's just so powerful. Like you said, information really is power, and it's just, it's just wonderful. So thank you so much, Dr. Angela, for sharing this with us tonight. And, you know, Akita and I are both very passionate about living healthy lifestyles. I know for me that I just love to encourage women to get healthy, and, you know, that's why I, I promote a nutrition system is because I just I, I think everybody deserves to feel their best all the time. And, you know, you cannot possibly be the best for the world if you're not feeling the best way that you can feel in your body. So thank you for this advice, and I really just hope that everyone who, you know, heard this tonight, it takes action and really just gets the fact that you really need to take care of yourself if you think you're up to big things in this world. So thank you, Dr. Angela, for coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much, ladies. It was an absolute pleasure, and hopefully this has, you know, added value, you know, to your day. Yeah, it absolutely has. Um, Makina, is there anything you want to add before we um, close off tonight and I go play with my new bunny fly? (laughs) Uh, Yes. First of all, thank you so much, Dr. Angela. I have enjoyed this show. And, of course, I look forward to uh, all of your posts on DrAngela.com as well. And if you have really enjoyed the show as much as I have this this evening, please go to iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podomatic, SoundCloud, and get your copy and download all this great information that Dr. Angela shared with us tonight. 
Absolutely, and don't forget to share it with your friends. If you, especially if you know you have any, you know anybody turning, you know, right around the age of thirty or forty, who might benefit from knowing um, what they need to be doing for their bodies, and that, that's great. Thank you. And if you want to see a picture of my new bunny fly, check out our Facebook page because he is going to be on our Facebook page before the night is over. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to post him him on there for you. But yes, thank you, everyone who called in tonight. You know, we love you. God bless. Make it a really amazing and powerful week. On Sunday, we have one of my amazing friends coming on. I love this girl. It's going to be a powerful show, so I can't wait to see everyone then. Um, good night, Dr. Angela. Good night, Dr. Kina. And have good a night, great evening. Good night, lady, and thank you so much again. Have a great evening. Good night, everyone. <laughs>